Welcome to Fitz Dog Radio. It is with a heavy heart today that we say goodbye to Fitz Dog Studios. It's the it's the fourth or fifth Fitz Dog Studios, but uh, probably the most significant one in the history of this show. I've been at uh, the Santa Monica Airport in an office for the last 13 years. And we just lost the lease. The city, well, the, the Santa Monica College bought the property from the city and they are demolishing it so they can put up pickleball courts. Yes. So that little stupid overweight people that are afraid of real sports can smack a little ball around instead of hardworking, entrepreneurial Santa Monica and Venice citizens can actually do jobs. This whole office building is filled with the most interesting people, just like little indie filmmakers, directors, writers, architects, fucking so. How about like dressmakers? There's actual dressmakers. It's like an Amish barn. Uh, met a lot of good friends over the years in this office, and I'm saying goodbye to them today. I already said goodbye to a bunch of them. And moved my shit out. My big lazy boy is out. Refrigerator, TV, it's all gone. And we've moved on. Uh, I got a lead on a new place. And we'll pick it up from there, I guess. But uh, I just am very thankful. I'm trying to look at it like that. Always think about gratitude in life because whenever you're having a hard time and you feel like life is screwing you, you can also look at it with gratitude. I know it would sound corny, but but honestly, like I got a lot done in this little, this office is about 15 by 15 or something. I don't know. It's tiny. And I wrote a book in this office where I pulled all-nighters and I slept on the Lazy Boy for a couple hours at three in the morning, then got back to work at five in the morning. I mean, I almost had a nervous breakdown and I got it done. I have done probably more than half of all my podcasts have been in this room. Um, written scripts for TV shows. I've written a lot of stand-up comedy. I have thought of shows. I've brainstormed shows with friends and fellow writers. I've taken naps. I have, uh, just, it just, the place means a lot to me and I got a lot done here and I'm grateful. That's how I'm looking at it. And now we move forward. I've been on, written on a lot of TV shows where I had my own office and, you know, sometimes you get fired. That happens. On occasion, I've left a couple of those offices with a with a milk crate with my shit packed in it, doing the walk of shame on a Wednesday afternoon on a production day. Yes, that happened on one particular show. I won't say which one, but uh, that bitch got what was coming to her. America found out, whatever. I'm not saying which show it was. There's been so many. Getting fired is really bad it is as far as human experiences i'd put it up there with a breakup especially when you got a family to feed i put it past a breakup because it's real a breakup you may get back together when you get fired you ain't going back that's a permanent breakup 
and you don't even try. It's not like you show up with roses the next day and go, hey, sorry, uh, you know, you don't think I'm talented. That wasn't why I got fired. I got fired because I had a fucking bad attitude. And now you all know why. I'm not saying which show it was. I've written on Met. Go to my IMDb page. So here we are saying goodbye to this office. And the I can't think of a better final interview than what I just had this afternoon. Robert Smigel, Triumph, the insult comic dog, uh, SNL writer, first head writer on Conan. Uh, he's got a new movie out. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but he's a guy that is one of my all-time heroes. And he came in today and we sat down and we talked. We did an hour and, I don't know, hour and 10-minute podcast. And then we talked for an hour and a half afterwards in the office. We had a very heartfelt talk. We talked about a lot of shit. And it was really nice getting to know him. He's a guy that if I lived in New York, I think we'd be friends. Dare I say we'd be friends? I don't know. He's living in fucking Jersey now anyway, so who knows. But anyway, so that's coming up. We've got, um, what else? We had a nice time Thanksgiving week. My mom came out for eight days. Love her. Had such a nice time. Just stayed busy with her every day. I mean, she's getting up there. She's like 82 now, I want to say. 81? Maybe she's 81. Yeah, 81. And uh, But she had a really tough heart surgery a couple years ago, and it took a lot of her energy away. She's not the fireball that she was, but she's still going strong. We did a lot of walking. We went to the Getty Center Museum, which is just the best. If you ever come to L.A., do not miss the Getty Center Museum. It is uh, John Paul Getty. John Paul? was it, Or was it Ringo? I can't remember. But it was Getty. He was a wealthy oil guy, and he left, like, a lot of money, and they built one of the most incredible houses and museums you've ever seen in your life with the best views of L.A. And I took my mom up there, and we looked at the art, and my daughter was there with her friend Mimi, and Mimi was very taken by a lot of the art. It's just beautiful to expose people to that. Uh, so check it out whenever you can. And then we went down to San Diego on Friday to see off my niece, Julia, who came up for Thanksgiving, and we, we drove back down there, saw her apartment. We went to the Coronado Hotel, and uh, people, you know, it's a very photographic hotel. There's a Christmas trees up, and it's, a, it's built in 1888. And so every time I saw a group of people uh, with getting their picture taken, I would walk next to whoever was taking the picture, and I would also start taking their picture to, to mixed results. Some people immediately started laughing, high fives. Other people, let's call them Asian, didn't get the joke. That's fine. I think your jokes should not be gotten by all. Let's shoot for 78% of the audience. That's about right. If you're getting 100, probably ain't that funny. So did that. Had a great Thanksgiving. We did the soccer game in the morning. We did dinner. We had 11 people over. Ran in the ocean. Went to the Dunskys for some desserts. Got home late. Great day. 
and uh, my mom, uh, she likes her red wine. We always know when it's time to go when her teeth turn, when they go from pink to red to purple. It's time to head out. Everyone loves her. She just, my mom gets in your face with love. She goes up to people and she's a listener. She asks you questions. And then at the end of the night, she puts her hands on both sides of your head and pulls your face in close and tells you what a special person you are. And she means it. And it's, and it runs right through you. And I miss her already. She just left today and she got to fucking LAX and she gets there and there's no wheelchair to take her to the gate. Not she probably didn't reserve one. That's not my mom's style. I think my mom just kind of shows up to places and expects everything to work out, which is a little bit how I live my life. Um, but so she so there was 30 people waiting for wheelchairs at LAX because she can't walk that far. Um, so she I finally was on the phone with her. I was like, Mom, your flight leaves in a half an hour. You better start walking. So she starts walking and flags down a guy who's on his way to the 30 people. And she grabs him and goes, no, you're taking me. So she made her flight, uh, just talked to her. She got in all right. And she's back in Florida. So that's it. And then I go to the airport again on Saturday. No, a week. No, this Saturday? I think in a week. No, a week from. No, this Saturday. My son is leaving. He's going to Central America. He's flying into Guatemala, and he's going to spend five months in Central America, like taking buses around, hitchhiking, going to Mexico for most of the time. And so I'm very excited for him. I'm doing a uh, a Kickstarter account to pay the ransom for the kidnapping. But, you know, it'll be an adventure. It'll be something he talks about when he's older. You know, other people talk about like, oh, yeah, remember when we uh, remember we played flag football in Central Park and then we went out for tall boys at McSorley's? No, no, no. He was gagged and bound in the back of a makeshift pickup truck and held by banditos until his parents emptied out their savings account to bring him home. Oh, I'm a little nervous, a little nervous about my son going away. But he's traveled. He's traveled the world before. He's traveled around Europe for months and months. And uh, and he's a smart. He's a kid. Grew up, grew up in a city. He knows what he's doing. Traveling with a good guy, Gabriel. And we'll get him back. Right? Yeah. I'm going away also. I will be in San Francisco this weekend at the Punchline, November 30th through December 2nd. Maybe my second favorite club in the country. Uh, uh, there's a big benefit. I have not announced this yet, and I'm remiss. I produce a big benefit every year for Best Buddies, which is a group I work with. It helps people with intellectual disabilities, and I donate 10% of all my merch sales I have for about a decade to Best Buddies. So we put. So I produce this big comedy show every year. It's going to be at the Comedy Store on December 13th. We got Sarah Silverman. We got Andrew Santino, Bobby Lee, Annie Letterman. Uh, we got a big name we have, we cannot announce because this person has a big theater show in L.A. coming up. But it's going to be an amazing show. Get your tickets now. It sells out every year. Go to my website. Get tickets. Also coming to Fort Worth. 
uh, Hyenas, December 15th and 16th. Milwaukee Improv, December 29th through 31st. The Den Theater in Chicago on January 13th. Also coming to Atlanta, Portland, La Jolla, and Tampa. All tickets at FitzDog.com. Come out, check out the new material, post-special. And also we want you to check out other live events. The best way to get tickets, whether you want sports, whether you want comedy, theater, you name it, you're going to go to Game Time. It's an app that allows you the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for everything. Killer last-minute deals, all-in prices. You can get a view from your seat on the app. They've also got a best price guarantee. If you can find the same seats in the same section and row for less, Game Time gives you 110% of the difference. Here's the genius of this app is that you can go on the app and uh, and you wait. It keeps an eye on things, and eventually prices tend to go down. Everybody thinks, oh, I better buy early, or you stress out and you think, oh, maybe I should wait till later. Whatever it is, th this is the best way to get them. Right now I'm looking at Rolling Stones, July 10th, 2024. Tickets are only $167. This is one I would jump on early because I think they might go up. As opposed to uh, Rod Wave tomorrow night at the Forum for 114 That's going down. Enrique Iglesias is coming. That's 79 bucks with Pitbull. So anyway, it's fun to track. It knows your area, and it t shows you what's coming up. Um, uh, it's a couple of taps on the app. It's real easy. Downloads right into the app. You don't have to print anything. You don't have to transfer anything. I use it all the time. No matter what city you're in, you can use game time. And uh, here's how you do it. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app. Create an account and use code FITSDOG for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code F-I-T-Z-D-O-G for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, now. All right, let's get to my interview now. Uh, this guy, he just co-directed, co-wrote, and wrote all of the original songs for and voiced characters in this movie called Leo. I watched it yesterday. It is, I don't care if you're a little kid. I wouldn't say little. I would say kids six and up all the way to adulthood. It's a really, really well-made, funny, good film. It is, uh, he's the guy that also brought you TV Funhouse. He's TV Funhouse from SNL. Uh, legendary SNL writer. Uh, obviously, first writer, first head writer on Conan O'Brien's show. Um, he's written a lot of movies with um, Adam Sandler. I think he, I think he wrote the Zohan. Don't mess with the Zohan. You don't mess with Zohan. Um, punched up all these scripts like Wedding Singer and Wayne's World Two, and uh, he's he's done it all. I mean, you know the guy. He's he's the best. I was so honored to have him in. And we had a great chat. So here's my talk with Robert Smigel. Robert Smigel, welcome to the uh, Fitzdog Radio podcast. Uh, pleasure to be here. 
Um, is this thing on camera too? I yeah. don't know how to. Let's how right down work. the barrel. Oh, okay, right okay. Solid two shot. Okay, good. <laughs> That's okay, all we good. do. I, we do keep a, it pretty simple. Give the people a three quarter. Yeah. Let us <laughs> see the profile. Profile is a little excessively Jewish, I think. Now, uh, <laughs> is that uh, is that your father's nose, or your mother's nose? Uh, wow, I think it's more my mom's original nose. Yeah. Oh, did she have some work done? See, you've already done it. We talked before the show. <laughs> anyway, she's uh, she's. Uh, we talked before woman. the show about things that you're gonna want to take out. <laughs> Nothing comes out. No, no, it's all fine. It's and all you're fine. not gay. <laughs> is that what i read on wikipedia um you know what uh it doesn't matter like no. george clooney says it doesn't matter what i am and um it's great whatever i am is great however i come it's fantastic you fuck george clooney did i just say that <laughs> oh shit there it goes there it goes man uh, congratulations. Big news. Uh, your movie, mm. Leo, mm. is now has 34.6 million views in the first six days. The biggest debut ever for a Netflix animated film. Oiche, moiche. Huh? That's a lot of viewers. <laughs> you might want to check it out. The lizard that you'll fall in love with. Yeah, he's. They um, can't tell me wrong. <laughs> Thirty-four point two million Netflix subscribers <laughs> can't be wrong. Um, no, it's like, this is man. it is amazing. This is the first thing I've been in show business for like thirty-eight years, I think, and this is the first thing I've ever done that everybody likes oh really i think so wow i mean other i mean there's like comedy sketches yeah. and shit like that but every project i've done since that has been outside of late night comedy has had success right but not like this like you know like i did some movies with sandler and you know normally a lot of times they're mean to him the critics yeah like you don't mess with the zohan that kind of thing and then I did Hotel Transylvania, which made a shitload of money. It was a big success, but not a did critical. Did two of those, right? I did two of those. Yeah. yeah. Not a critical success, though. This thing, it just, um, and Sandler was positive that this was going to happen. Oh, is that right? Like when the when I pitched him the idea practically, he was like, fucking, that's going to fucking be, Smikey, this is always, I was like, really? That big? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, okay. It's, uh, I saw it and it's, uh, oh, you saw it. I saw it. I See, loved it. You're a professional. I'm a professional. I've done like three interviews in the last couple of days and nobody had watched it. Oh, thank really? you. Thank you for watching oh, it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I loved it. And I've already recommended oh. it to, uh, my cousin has two kids yeah. that are, about that what are these kids like 11 yes yeah they're 11 and her kids are 11 and 13 so i said you got to watch this um, that's great it's got that's hard great. funny jokes yes it's got great characters cool great voices uh bill burr i don't know yeah when you write for bill burr like how much of it do you let him 
He improvised a little bit, but most of what we used was scripted and it was just written for him. I mean, I just pictured Bill Yeah. from day one when I started writing this draft. And uh, I just love Bill. Obviously, he's one of the greatest comedians going. Certainly, over the last 15 years, he's incredible. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I... I pitched it to Adam and I was like, okay, cause I was thinking, uh, oh, he's probably going to want to use Schneider or, yeah. and Schneider's great. Schneider and so is Steve Buscemi's could have been great, uh, but I just had Bill in my head and I just thought it would be fresh and exciting yeah. to use him and, you know, and, and getting to work with him and have him abuse me was a thrill. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's part of his act. Uh -huh. I, I like to think. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Robert Smigel. Yeah. Terrific. Terrific. Yeah. Oh, no. Nah. Nobody likes you. You understand <laughs> that, right? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. He's, he's, I mean, we go back because I, I was such a fan of his back, like, before he exploded, he was still, like, one of the funniest comics in the country, and, and I, I had him closed night of too many stars oh he did yeah a couple of times wow. like back in like 2012 uh-huh and i remember we we had this amazing bit on night of too many stars where Katy perry came out and sang with an autistic girl they sang firework and the girl was like Whoa, really good at piano shit. yeah and they they, they they did a duet and everybody the whole audience was in tears and then bill came out and he murdered, he did this insane, hilarious uh, riff on Steve Jobs and how overrated he was, and uh, <laughs> and it killed. But and, and I was just over the moon after that show because primarily because of this Katy Perry thing. It was yeah. just like amazing. And everybody's coming up and talking about it. And then Bill's like, yeah, thanks for having me follow the crying kid. <laughs> yeah, the kid wasn't crying, but everybody in the audience, I knew what he meant. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. <laughs> Nothing better. Nothing better. Following a following a autistic girl hugging Katy Perry with all her might. John fucking John Stewart was even crying. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Burr. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Burr. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's great. That's great. Can't wait to do it again. Anything for the cause, Bob. Anything for the cause. <laughs> oh, that's amazing and then and i like and you know how it is with him you can't totally tell if he means it yeah i mean he's got to mean it on some level right <laughs> but then like then he like no nah, no nah, it's cool i, I want to and then he said every every time we do this i want to close i like the challenge i want to close yeah yeah <laughs> he likes the challenge yeah yeah he texted me yesterday and uh I had I had shit to do. He had shit to do, and we spent forty five minutes texting the most profane, horrible shit to each other, and that's our conversations. He'll call me on the. We started together in Boston. And I'm sure, yeah. He'll call me on the phone and just be like, "What are you doing, queer?" <laughs> and we'll just stay in those voices for twenty five minutes, and then my wife will come in and go like, "How's Bill's wife? How's the kids?" I'm like, "I don't know. I have no idea, but I think I'm queer." <laughs> He's incredible. Yeah, he's and, great. Yeah, so, yeah, I was, 
Adam totally went for it and is very happy that we used Bill. Did they do scenes in the booth together? They only had one day. They did all their lines separately, and then we had them work That's together so one day. It is weird. But I was like, we got to get you guys together just once in case there's some... We know, and Bill did come up with a lot of funny shit that day. But and we wouldn't used that some save a lot of time if they were both in the same room? You would think, yeah, but it was complicated. You know what? You know what? The... It was this movie was done. So we had a table read on February of 2020. Oh, no shit. Exactly. And we're over the moon. It went really well. Thank God we got the table read in because the network, you know, the Netflix executives heard all these laughs. So that was like a big relief. We didn't have to like litigate every joke, you know? But then, like a month later, you know, Rudy Gobert, <laughs> Rudy Gobert from the jazz on the end. That's when the, that's when everything turned when Rudy Gobert, who plays for the Utah jazz or did at the time announced that he had COVID an uh, NBA star. This is before the bubble in Orlando. Oh yeah. No, yeah. this is what caused that. It's like within a day, March 11th. I remember everything went to shit. Uh, an NBA player announced he had COVID and then uh, the NCAA March Madness was canceled, and we well, all knew that we were in it. Yeah. And here's the craziest thing about for people who know the NBA and Rudy Gobert. So I I had taken my kids. I had turned sixty, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm actually gonna do something for my birthday this time because I'm I hate being sixty. And so I I managed. Conan was somehow covering the. I don't know. Somehow they got me tickets to see the all-star game in Chicago, uh, the NBA all-star game. Yeah. And we go there and we didn't have great seats, but my kids were able to run down the steps. They were only like 10 years old at the time. And, and they get to see all the players leaving the court and, you know, they got to high five a couple people and then Rudy Gobert, this player who's uh you know a superstar center gives one of my kids his compression sleeve yeah and we're all so excited look at this Rudy Gobert's compression sleeve and then like literally two and a half weeks later Rudy Gobert has (laughs) Rudy Gobert has COVID and nobody knew any shit about COVID like I didn't know that if you got it right now, didn't you couldn't possibly have had it three weeks ago. Yeah. You know, we had to do research. Like the one fucking person who gave my kid a souvenir a is the first souvenir. The yeah. first NBA player, the first hilarious. professional athlete to announce he has COVID. Right. So we were just freaking out for like an hour and then we figured <laughs> out that everything was gonna be all right. But but so we ended up doing the whole movie on Zoom. The entire movie. Oh, really? Everything. And and Bill had to do his voiceovers like for the first round of they call it a scratch track. Yeah. You know, the uh you just have to get the voices down in decent shape and you know, start it, it wasn't even a animating to them. We just had crude drawings of the characters and storyboards and we wanted to create what they call an animatic, which is just a video representation of the movie, uh, with just still shots. So Bill, just everybody who did voices just did them from their houses. Yeah. You know, and, and like, they're not playing off anyone else's voice. They're no, just they're not, laying down I, their sometimes lines. I would like do the voice for him back okay. and forth. 
so that he'd get a little sense of the rhythm. Right. You know, I would do Adam or whatever. But because uh, it's mostly him and Adam going back and forth. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a welcoming uh, <laughs> it wasn't a welcoming environment for for improv. Yeah. You know, he's right. literally in a closet. Right. You know, are you hearing me? Is this working? Jesus fucking Christ, Smigel. Bad enough I got to work with you. <laughs> now I got to do it in a closet. Fucking fantastic. Uh, so we had, but so yeah, so Adam and Bill, until, you know, it wasn't until like 2022 that everybody felt like they could right. be in the same room. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we had already laid down a lot of shit and I was like, let's just do one session with the two of you together, if we get one or two funny lines yeah. out of it. That's so great. That's, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And then uh, and then you're, you had uh, kids in it, and Adam had kids in it yeah. as well? Yeah, well, Adam's kids are, like, incredible. They're so talented, and they've been in a lot of stuff of his. Uh, you know, he put, it in, he put them in just because he likes to have them around and as a lark uh, in, in, when they were younger. But now they're like, I mean, they just did that other movie about the bat mitzvah. Oh, I yeah. didn't. How old are oh, they yeah. now? They're like fourteen and sixteen, oh, or, no or fifteen and seventeen. Wow. Yeah, and so this girl Sunny is basically the star of this movie that came out last September. Uh, this September called "You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah." And it got really great reviews, and the girls got great. And this is like they had to overcome the whole nepo baby yeah, right. craze. Yeah, <laughs> like suddenly, if you have a parent in show business. Uh, it's a crime. So like Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, it's just been fooling us for the last 30 years. Yeah. Apparently. Right. Right. You know, she's you know not, who's good too is Judd's, Judd's daughter. Judd's are kids are great. great. They're yeah. both, they're totally great. Yeah. And my boys are in this movie, but not by design so much. They are not actors. They are just kids. Um, and they are in the movie because, so when we were laying down these scratch tracks during the pandemic, they told us, well, if you can anybody, if you can use any family members, it'll we don't have to pay them. <laughs> so I was like, well, actually, Ethan, I kind of wrote the bully with his voice in mind because he 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 likes to bully the other kid mm -hmm. uh, who's Rowie, who actually does have a nut allergy and several other issues uh -huh. and has this really sweet voice that always kind of reminded me of Linus in the old Charlie Brown specials. Yeah. And I even like secretly wanted to use Rowie when we did the second ha Transylvania movie and, and introduced a little kid because he just had the sweetest, cutest voice. But I was like, he's six years old. I'm not going to do yeah. not going to do this to this kid. Right. So but this now they were like 11 or 12 and they were into it. And we and there was no pressure because we just did it in our basement. Yeah. But then Sandler heard their scratch tracks and was like, they're yeah, fucking good. Let's oh, fucking no keep shit. them in the movie. Really? Let's put them in the fucking movie, oh, buddy. Amazing. Yeah. So. So now they get paid. Now they get paid, and but then what they didn't realize, or at least one of them was fine with it, but the other one was like, "You have a, you actually have a song. I wrote a song for you." He was like, "I don't want to sing." <laughs> he sings a song in the movie that my boy Rowie, and it's like one of the most popular songs on like Spotify. Of I mean, not on the whole Spotify, but out of the soundtrack. Rowie's song, song. It's it? the one where the kid sings to the drone, the breakup, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. breakup song to the drone. That's your son singing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, these kids, we didn't want kids who had like showy. Right. We just wanted sweet, real voices. Yeah. Like, again, like sort of the old Charlie Brown cartoons. You know, this, the kids didn't sound like newsies, you know, right. like professional right. spirited. Act. What? Yeah. Oh, look at that. My Snoopy that? hat. Oh, nice. Snoopy. Yeah, I I love I I feel like my very first introduction to comedy was Peanuts when I was growing up. Those I had I had all these books with every yeah, comic was, strip ever. I was, I was obsessed. obsessed with me too. Yeah, really. We even said obsessed at the same time. Wow. Yes, I don't know how old you are, Greg. You're I'm fifty seven. Okay, so you probably had were they the whole Reinhardt Winston books? Not like sure. The, I mean, I was like a dollar a book. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Uh, There's a museum if you ever get a chance. I've been to there. Go. I've oh, taken you have? my kids there. Jeannie Schultz gave us a tour. No way. Yeah, because I met Jeannie Schultz. She happened to be doing Comic Con at the same time I was. And I had done like a tribute cartoon to Charles Schultz on Saturday Night Live. And, um, and Jeannie had known about it. So she came to our exhibit. We did a whole session, a TV Funhouse session. And she stood up and then I met her and we became friends and I've gone to some of her charity events. And then when my boys were old enough, like, so I raised my boys to like, they just love the Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, that's like, who doesn't love that? Yeah. But they became really peanuts obsessive. And uh, so I brought them to Santa Rosa and Jeannie met us and took us to the actual to the real office that Charles Schultz used. Uh -huh. There's like a recreated one inside. Yeah. Then there's also a real one. And wow. I got to like, they got to hang out there and she's just a great lady too. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, the yeah. recreation, it was my favorite part of the museum. He's got like this drawing table. Yes. And uh, and then he had built a skating rink next door because he liked to- He loved uh, to skate. He loved to skate. He loved to skate, So he'd yeah. write and then he'd go skate and uh -huh. come back and write. I know. Yeah, my daughter lived in that town. That's how in I- Santa stumbled. Rosa? She lived in Santa Rosa. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful. But then they had a wildfire a couple of years ago and his house burned down. Not, oh, not the museum house or office, but his actual home. Oh, that's so tragic because he had a lot of, she had a lot of his old stuff there yeah. too. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I just loved Peanuts as a kid so yeah. much because it was the first thing that, you know, it was the first cartoon I had encountered where not everybody was happy <laughs> and not right. everything was simple. Right. And I just connected so hard with that. Yeah, they had a therapist and you had, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> yes, kids had, it was like the psychiatry craze at, in the 60s. And so, yeah, so Charlie Brown would go talk to Lucy about his problems. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, that was the best. Yeah. So um, I was just telling you when you came in, the last, I think the last time I saw you was the <laughs> gong show was probably like 2007 or something. Seven, maybe. Yeah. So I was the head writer and, and you came in as one of the judges. Yes. And David Tell was the host. David Tell was the host. And I'm trying to remember who your who your co-host was, who, uh, you, who your co -judge other judges. Was. I know that Dana and Julia, because they were kind of had a Sandler connection. Didn't Sandler? Didn't Happy Madison produce that yes, show? Yes, they did. Yes. Yeah. So they were there, and Adam Carolla one episode. Yeah. And uh, you know, Triumph usually gets to say funny things, <laughs> but Adam Carolla, like just every single time, it was time to comment on the. Uh, performer adam carolla would just he's adam he just yeah. he just doesn't stop you're right and right. i didn't have 
it was the first time Triumph was ever like too polite. <laughs> he was like, I, 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 and also I, I, yeah, yeah. okay, forget it. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Go ahead. What Adam, what Adam said, it's all right. And then another episode was with Brian Posehn and I can't remember, maybe Andy Dick was there. I don't know, but I, I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. It was a great idea to bring it back, but I honestly, and I love Attell. I think he's obvious. We all think he's one of the funniest people ever, but I just think he should have been a judge. He yeah. would have been one of the funniest judges imaginable. Right, right. He could have been the permanent judge. Yeah, because like I almost felt like he was being held back in the role of a host. Uh huh. Yeah. I remember saying at the time, Norm Macdonald should be the host of this show mm -hmm. because it needed what was great about Chuck Barris. Now I'm, we're really like, this is for like people over 70. We're talking about yeah. Chuck Barris from the peanuts. Yeah. The, I know Chuck Barris, the original gong show had this incredibly confusing guy who you didn't know if he was serious or not. He was sort of doing a parody of a host and pretending that he cared, but knowing that it was ridiculous. And I felt like Norm could have captured that. And kind of knowing that Chuck Barris, even being a kid, I didn't know what cocaine was, but it was so clear something was going on yes, with this guy. There was a mystery to the guy, like yeah. there always was with Norm on some level. Yeah, right. Like you didn't know exactly. It wasn't drugs with Norm. It was just like, is he fucking with me right now? Right. Yeah. Right. It's it, almost... it was like an, enig an, enig an enigmatic host was required for that show. Yeah, the host almost has to react to the acts without saying anything and then react to the judges. Yes, and, and the host can't shit on the performers right, because right. that's the job of the he judges. He brought them out. He's the host. Yeah, he selected yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, but the magic of the original was that the host acted like this is the greatest thing he's ever seen yeah, on right, some level, but right. you knew that he didn't think so. Right, right. Um, so... Uh, you were also I will say this about Attell. He's one of the greatest guys too. And and I this was one of the strangest things ever. So I had been doing Night of Too Many Stars a couple of times at that point. So I have an autistic son and I do this uh benefit for uh, autism schools and programs and a lot of stars participate. Dave couldn't do it, but he he was just grateful that I had done his show. Uh-huh. And he's like, he asked me about when is the next one. I was like, I don't know. He literally just pulled out a checkbook and wrote a $5,000 check and handed it to me. He did? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's just like, no one's ever done that. Yeah. Holy shit. He's the most generous person I've Such ever Such a decent, met. Yeah, yeah. He is. Yeah. Every time he shows up to a club, he walks in with a giant bag of candy and he gives it For to the real? staff. And then he tips the shit out of everybody. And like that's incredible. You know he does that. Um, it's so funny. Mics with Jeff yeah, Ross. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then they sell merchandise after the show. But then Dave ends up giving like there's always somebody from the club that helps you sell, and he gives them right. like half the money at the end. Oh of the really? Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> incredible, incredible. I do a benefit for. Have you heard of Best Buddies? No. Best Buddies is a group that was uh, started by. Um, Patrick Shriver, who is Maria Shriver's brother, and it's for people with intellectual disabilities. And I've been working with them. I give them 10% of all my merch sales, and then I do a benefit every year, which is coming up in two weeks. Oh, wow. And it's, uh, it's this year is Burr is a Maybe. 
Uh, Sarah Silverman's doing it. Sarah Andrew does Santino. everything. Yeah. Is there anything Sarah won't do? I know. Sarah's the one who set up Katy Perry for me. No. And she didn't even know her. Really? I didn't know how to. I, I asked Katy Perry via her manager, will you do this? And, and they just wrote back, she's not available. Uh-huh. And I just couldn't let it go. And I somehow was like scanning for Katy Perry, like any clues to how I could get to Katy Perry. Found an interview where she was on like the MTV Awards red carpet. And she said, one of the women I admire most is Sarah Silverman. And I don't know, because she's bold and whatever it was. And so I called Sarah and just said, do you know her? And no, but, and I explained what it was that I wanted her to do. And she just DM'd her out of the blue. She DM'd Katy Perry and Katy Perry responded. And then they communicated and she just talked her into doing it. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Sarah. Sarah's like a tell. Like just, you know. Yeah, that level of generosity and sweetness. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have uh, we have a, a, a guy who's got autism that I've been kind of mentoring to do stand up comedy. Really, that was his dream. So for the last, we've been doing this benefit for like ten years. In the last five years, he gets up and he does five minutes. Well, that's incredible. And he fucking crushes. Really? Yeah, he's like his father helps him write the material. And Where, once is, this is out here in L.A. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's tremendous. Sometimes he gets a little stuck, but then he but then the crowd is kind of like. They wait. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's really cool. That's great, man. That's great. So I want to talk about your early days with Conan because I was friends with a lot of those guys. Yeah. Obviously, Louie and... um, Sweeney. Yeah, Mike Sweeney. And then uh, was was Dino Stamatopoulos part of that group or was he later? Absolutely. He was. He's one of the most important people. I mean, Dino's like quietly the comedy genius that most people don't know about. Yeah, he's not quiet at all. But no, no, <laughs> no. But yeah, people don't know him. Yeah, uh, as well. He's never had like the giant hit that was attached to him. But yeah. he was one of the great writers on the um, Ben Stiller show. And then when we were starting Conan, he his his writing packet was just by far it wasn't even close. Yeah. There were like literally 15 ideas. It was like, I would put this on the show. Really? Yeah. Came up with so many amazing bits the first year. This, the bit Conan babies, which was just like Conan, Andy and Max when they were like a running cartoon thing that we did. And he came up with, it's this weird, like he came up with this word crunk. He spelled it K-R-U-N-K. And it's like the all purpose curse word. Like, because we can't curse on the air, so we're going to make up a curse word. Uh-huh. And it was crunk, and we did a lot of bits with that. And then crunk became this other thing that starts with a C in rap culture, which was very strange how that happened. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crunk became a big word in rap culture, but it spelled with a C. And I don't know if, I'll never know if it was like unconsciously right. lifted from Dino's bit or if it was... Um, I mean, what a wild man. Uh, he used to. Oh, yeah, yeah. He used to be like my sidekick for a while when I first started this podcast. Is that and, true? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, uh, and he would just come in with these stories about, you know, bondage. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just. I, crazy, I, I, you know? I Sometimes we would wonder if, is, is your whole life just a bit? Is everything <laughs> yeah. you're doing just so that you can tell people about it? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> because 
he, he basically told people about everything he did as, as quickly as he did it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, right. He'd be like having wax poured on his dick and calling you from a cell phone about it. <laughs> <laughs> my, my friend set him up on a date one time and, yeah. uh, they went back to her place, you know, got comfortable. And then he asked her to take off her shoes and socks. And she was like, what? <laughs> He's like, that's all I really want. <laughs> really? And and of course, he can't wait to tell the story. And he told it on the radio. Yes, yeah, yes. Right. Just how, how he made a girl uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't like feet? Feet are beautiful. Yeah, come on. What the come fuck? Um, Amazing. Yeah, so... So you were the first head writer on Conan. Yeah, best then, job ever. Greatest and, dream come true. Yeah. Yeah. And and how did you hire writers? Like, was it all well, it packets was all, or you knew some people? No, I didn't know anybody. The whole thing came out of the blue. It was like Dana Carvey had been offered the gig after Letterman. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't want to do it. But for a moment, he considered it. And he was telling me and Conan about it. And he had this little carrot on a stick. And you two guys could be like, you know, you could perform on the show. And I was like, okay. Well, and then I just gave me all these ideas for what, what a show following Carson and replacing Letterman could be. Because I hadn't ever considered it. But then I just started getting all these thoughts of like, oh, well, we could bring sketch comedy to... Um, that time slot because Letterman did all this found humor right you know and Letterman openly says like oh I stole from Steve, Steve Allen. Allen exactly but Steve Allen also had this whole other half of his show where he would like have sketch performers like Louis Nye now I'm talking to the hundred year old yeah. people uh, and um, who's that great actor Tom Poston oh sure you know yeah. I would watch these things uh, at the Museum of Broadcasting in New York like I I was fascinated. I yes. All the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was fascinated by late night television. Even when we started the show, I made Conan watch with me. I, I had ideas for sets. I was like, let's do these throwback kind of sets that were just kind of like modern art, kind of weird shapes and stuff. And we would, I'd make him watch Jack Parr, and Conan just had a different energy. And he would watch these things and just felt like, this is just so slow. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And I loved the fact that it was slow, but. I knew that wasn't going to be part of the show. Yeah. But so Conan was the one that Lauren hired uh -huh. to produce the show. Yeah. But it wasn't his dream to produce a late night show. It was his dream to be on camera. Right. He was incredibly funny around the office. Yeah. Just had great energy. And I was funny in a different, like I could imitate Lauren Michaels and get laughs and stuff, but I didn't have this kind of, you know, own the room energy. I was just a brooding, typical writer. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but like for me, the dream was to do the behind the scenes thing and come up with the show. So Conan quit the gig. He told Lauren, and they, he was like forced to, forced to. He took the gig and he, and they would go to dinner with like John Stewart, Drew Carey, all these different potential hosts. Uh -huh. And they're all great. But Conan just had it in the back of his mind. Yeah, I, I swear to God, I think I could do this too. Uh -huh. And he just couldn't handle it. And he told Lauren, I, I'm sorry, but I just, it, being around this environment just makes me realize that what I really want to do is be a performer and, or at least try and 
you know, I'm not saying that I could host, but if, you know, if you want to consider me, that's great. If you don't, I understand. And then Lauren just took a shot and, um, and Conan calls me and says, Lauren's going to let me audition. And, um, and I have to admit like the tiny little part of me was like scared uh-huh. and selfishly like, Oh, well, what if he may not be that good? And I was like, I had had all these dreams of like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this show and uh-huh. like have some amazing host and it's going to be, and like, I, I felt really guilty uh, but and I was trying to still like oh, no no so you'll audition and we'll see how it goes and all everything, yeah. and then like and he said I would like you to be the head writer. I was like okay yeah no I could see that I, but I didn't just and then like I called him back because like like an, a, a day later and I was like I just realized what an asshole I was. I was like it doesn't matter if it, he's my friend and like he asked me to do this and he's been supportive of me. Like when I did stupid weekend update things on SNL once in a blue moon. So I called him back. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. But then, then he ended up auditioning and had a killer audition. Yeah. Just, I don't know what it was that made it like he, I guess he just felt like he had nothing to lose. Right. And it was a very tiny audience in Burbank. And did you write material? No, no, I had nothing to do with it. Okay. He just went up there and did a very loose monologue and then interviewed Jason Alexander and who was uh, Tom Cruise's wife at the time? Nicole Kidman? No, before her. Penelope? No. No, uh, um, it starts with an M. Oh, shit. Yeah. What's wrong with me? Anyway, someone will know. Uh, the actress, we have Google. We should Google it. Um, anyway, he had this killer interview. Mimi Rogers. Mimi Rogers. World Mimi Series Rogers. Of poker winner. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. He had this amazing interview with her. And and after that, I was just I became too confident. Uh-huh. I was like, this guy's gonna fuck it. And then we then we all, you know, hired these writers and over the summer Conan was so funny around the office. I was just like, fuck man, this guy's gonna own late night television. Within six months, everybody's gonna have a pompadour and, yeah. <laughs> and everybody's gonna want skinny legs yeah. and like and and so that it gave me the confidence to like just make the show absolutely bananas yeah. in terms of like the crazier the idea the better. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why it was the most fun gig ever because we had like Lauren Michaels behind us. So we were somewhat protected, we thought. Right. You know, and I thought Conan was going to be great and to me it was like we have a responsibility following Letterman. Right. To be as innovative and crazy as he was, you know. And but then, it didn't didn't do well out of the gates, though, did it? Well, here's the thing. So the first week we had the benefit of Chevy Chase had done a show uh-huh. like the week before for Fox. He had <laughs> he, he decided to venture into the talk show world and I Fox gave that. him a talk show. Yeah. And I love Chevy Chase. I, I think he's hysterical. And it kind of made sense. I remember when I was younger, he was a rumored replacement for Johnny Carson. Uh-huh. So this is, but this is like 20 years later. This is like 1993. And the talk show was a complete train wreck. Yeah. Just an absolute disaster. Like, you know, 
maybe as bad as like Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson yeah. yeah. Or Jerry Lewis. Do you remember when he did? No, one? I didn't know Jerry that. Lewis had like a week and like Charlie Callis was his sidekick. Uh-huh. And it was just as Jerry Lewis as you could get. Yeah. Just like the pompous anger. Uh-huh. This man, <laughs> no one will understand what this man, what his gifts are. And Charlie Callis is like, when do I get to be funny? Uh, when do I get to make my noises? And uh, nobody. It was it was just as repellent as you could dream of. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but and and the, so we got to be compared out of the gate to Chevy Chase right. instead of Letterman. Like we still were compared to Letterman, but we had this buffer for like a week. So the reviews the first week were not that bad. Uh-huh. We were like we dodged a bullet thanks to this Chevy thing, and plus we thought we had great material. I watched the first show like a couple of months ago because it was our 30th anniversary. And I'm like still unbelievably proud of the first show and all the weird shit we did. Like literally on the very first show, this guy's never been on television and middle of John Goodman's interview, he says, we're back. We're talking to John Goodman. Um, We've got Drew Barrymore coming up, but right now, um, what was it? He says, uh, we'll be right back after this special effects technician. And then we cut to this redheaded, like, special effects guy just dancing like a hippie. <laughs> and we played One More Night by Phil Collins, and he's just... <laughs> and then we just cut back to... And we're back. <laughs> and it got a huge laugh. That's and great. Yeah, and I just was over the moon that we got away with that. And Conan was nervous, but really giddy with excitement. That was his first show. Yeah. But then like a week later, kind of that energy, you know, that excitement kind of died down and the quality of guests became what you would expect for a show that has an unknown. Right. Right. (laughs) So now he's interviewing Gore Vidal. And I'm still like doing insane bits uh-huh. and like, you know, I'm having the interview be interrupted by like, you're it's Conan's neighbor. <laughs> He's like interviewing Gore Vidal. I was like, Hey, Coney, how you doing? Oh, sorry, Mr. Vidal. Uh, that's Doug, my neighbor. <laughs> like literally interrupting interviews. This guy's trying to learn how to be a talk show host on the fly. That's it would great. have been great if he had had, so much experience that he had the confidence of like when Kimmel became a late night host. Yeah. He had years, thousands of hours of radio. Of radio. Exactly. Yeah, he right. was a broadcaster. So it was really bumpy, but he didn't look bumpy. He never, he never had that. You never felt like Kimmel was nervous. Right. And like the show didn't really get its legs for a couple of years, uh-huh. but it was never about Kimmel looking anything less than, professional but conan could get rattled and was sure. very hyper aware of the audience yeah and what's and really he caused distractions i'm sorry he caused his own distractions yes. even yes. though he wasn't comfortable in the seat yet. Yeah. yeah yeah and and what's kind of ironic now is that he's a podcaster and he's like almost a totally different guy yeah he's amazing in his podcast and that's the guy that we all knew right but behind the scenes like just this incredibly quick has this really funny way of like kind of bullying people but in the funniest way Uh possible yeah you know and um 
and he his interviews are much more in depth now and you can really see how intelligent he is and and how much he knows and how curious he is and that that wasn't possible on a late night show you're just supposed to set up stories right, right. you know you're not really having conversations uh-huh. and so and and i remember like that summer we would do these practice shows in Studio 8H, the Saturday Night Live studio, because Letterman was still working. And we would do these setups, and it would just be Conan, and like Dino or Andy Richter would be sort of on the set too, he'd giving him somebody to talk to. And then we would have like people from the staff come on and be pretend guests. Uh-huh. And he was so loose and funny. He was very much like he is on his podcast. And I remember fantasizing, like, why do we have to have an audience? Why uh-huh. do we have to have an audience? It just throws everything. He can just relax and just be himself. And now, it, literally 30 years that's later, and that's what it is. And wow. I think he's, I, I mean, he obviously had an amazing career. Yeah. And he was he did a fantastic job, but I think he's better on his podcast. Right. I think that's the real guy. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. Yeah. And Louis was just a baby when you guys hired him. Louis was show. a baby. Yes. He I was, mean, he was 25 probably, years old. Yeah. He had orange fingers because he ate a lot of carrots, I remember. <laughs> and he had, he did not have a great writing submission. And I could get very anal about that and then second guess myself. And I remember Dino just fucking hire him. Because he had made these incredibly funny movies. Oh, yeah. Ice Cream. Ice Cream. Tomorrow Night. And Tomorrow Night was later. That was a feature. Okay. I'm actually in that with Steve Carell for a few moments. Tomorrow Night's amazing. Yeah. But this was something called, what was the other one? Ice Cream. Ice Cream. And there was one other. And um, between that and his stand-up, which was already great. Right, right. He hadn't cracked the whole my kids are assholes side of his career yet no he was still but, an he was an absurdist which yes is why i can see which that fit perfectly yeah. for our show and so he ended up being i think the greatest writer the show ever had wow. he contributed so many but if you're a conan fan like the staring contest that andy and conan would do or the actual items bit which was like a perfect expression of what we were trying to do because remember i said i wanted the show to be we're going to be the show that makes everything up right. as opposed to Dave who just puts a mirror on reality and right. twists it and brilliantly, but I just we can't copy Dave. We can't copy. I didn't even let Conan do remotes uh-huh. for like a year yeah, because I was so anal about it. Cause I'd seen Dennis Miller try to do remotes uh-huh. and Pat Sajak. <laughs> and it's like, and like Dennis is incredibly funny, yeah. but it's just Letterman was like the master at the moment. Right. And I didn't want the guy replacing him to try and do what Dave did in right. any way, shape or form. So we would have, you know, so we, we, so the actual items bit was basically a parody of headlines, yeah, which I that. Jay Leno's headlines, which is stolen from Dave Letterman's small town news, uh-huh. but they were basically, they would just put up funny headlines and like, this is really, you can't make it up folks. You can't make it up. <laughs> You can steal it from Dave, but you can't make it up. And uh, <laughs> why Dave invented headlines all the time with that on I can John. <laughs> well, Dave didn't he invented the news. Thank you. Oh, sure, sure. Now, what, what didn't Dave invent? 
Can I talk about polio vaccine? <laughs> or did Dave invent that? <laughs> but like, uh, so, but Louie's bit was like, we call these are actual items that we found in the news. And of course they were the most, they were weird stuff we completely made up, completely yeah. over the top. And every time we would show one, look what I found in the New England Daily Herald. And it's just some make-believe advertisement. And Conan would always say, can't make this up. You can't make this stuff up. So, yeah, Louis, Louis, just Louis and Dino made just an incredible contribution. Like, I had the first instincts of what I wanted the show to be. And, you know, Conan and I fleshed that out a little bit. And, you know, I came up with my own bits, whatever, in the year 2000. And um, I don't remember, but... But I feel like Louie and Dino contributed just as much to that first year. Yeah. Really in, in defining what that show was. I remember I wrote on uh, Louie's first sitcom, the HBO one. And I just remember. Lucky like, Louie. Lucky Louie. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. it I just remember show. you guys being on the phone like constantly. Oh, really? Yeah. I remember he would, he would talk to you and he talked to Chris Rock. You mean to, about his sitcom? I don't know if it was about it, but I just uh -huh. remember being a lot of phone Oh, calls. no. Louie's great friend of mine for yeah me. yeah yeah and um yeah that was a great show i you know i thought so I thought yeah was... i don't know hbo didn't like that i think it was too ugly for them and not, not just yeah. the not yeah. just the aesthetically as that yeah, because he, he wanted he wanted it to look like ralph cramden's right. house right and hbo hates that shit yeah they want everything to be Filmed you know yeah. Yeah, they want everything to look pristine. I had a problem with that too. I can't remember why. Uh there was something I wanted to do on HBO and I was told it it's too down and dirty for HBO. I can't remember if it was a triumph thing. Yeah. But yeah. They have that um obsession with aesthetics. And uh, I remember I can't remember if it was Dave Becky or somebody was saying to Louie like they love the characters, they love the jokes, love the show. They just want you to hang better curtains and put different wallpaper. And then we're good. And we're good. And Louis was like, nope, not going to do it. He can get very defiant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean. I also think he hated having a writing staff. He oh, did, yeah. Yeah. No, I remember talking to him about that. Yeah. Yeah. There was a part of him because he felt like they're, they're just going to kind of dilute. Right. The. Well, he had a head writer. Wait, you were head writer? No, no Mike no, Royce. No. Mike Royce, yeah. right. Yeah, you weren't that writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Mike Royce, I think had already done Raymond at that point, right? Or did he go on to do Raymond? I think he had already he done He had already Raymond. done Raymond. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And then he came over and he was he was great head writer. He's gone on to head write a ton oh, of yeah, shows yeah. since yeah. then. He's, but he's, I think there was something about, like, Louis had an instinct that he didn't want professionals yeah. fucking with this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which I yeah. and I remember him talking to me one time and he was just like, you know how sometimes in the writer's room you'll say like, we can't do that because he goes, just don't do that. Just don't ever do that because I don't want anybody doing that. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I remember him telling me this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, writer's rooms are a weird dynamic. It is because, yeah. I mean, you look at some of the greatest shows of all time and they were kind of one-man shows. I mean, Curb. Curb is all Larry, pretty much, right? Well, no, I mean, I mean he, he got, has guys that sounding. He has boards. like a core, a core. He has a core group of people 
like who worked with him at Seinfeld, right? Mandel right. and Schaefer and Alec Berg, all of whom Larry have gone Charles, on to. Larry was his director. Yeah. But those three kids, they've all gone on. Mandel ended up running Veep and uh, Berg ran that Silicon Valley show. I mean, these are genuine, talented kids. Uh, I worked with them either at SNL or Conan. And, you know, I mean, obviously Larry's the engine. Yeah. You know, but like it's same with like stuff I do. I get credit for shit, but. I always have people helping me, whether it's like triumph jokes, you know. Who are your guys for that kind of stuff? Well, Feldman, you know that. Yeah. David Feldman. Yeah. Is one of, oh, my God. He's one of the funniest people in the Feldman world. Is a maniac. Yeah. And, he has uh, written some of the greatest fucking jokes. Oh, yeah. He says, and, uh, me yeah. and my wife. Yeah. You know, we have our hall passes. You know, for a long time, mine was <laughs> um, Goldie Hawn and hers was Tom Cruise. <laughs> And uh-huh. then I asked her recently if we could update them. And uh, she picked uh, Patrick Swayze, and I picked the babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> that is so Feldman. That's beautiful. Oh, no. You know what, though? It's interesting. So, I mean, I could list like 10 other guys who've written for Triumph Amazing Jokes, uh, including Sweeney and other Conan writers. But just to stay on Feldman for a second, he's, he's, his, uh, we did this puppet show a couple of years ago that nobody saw. It was called, uh, let's be real where they wanted to do a spitting image kind of show for America. And I was like, this is a terrible idea. Everybody would rather see comedians play famous people than just see puppets. It's too cold. Then I had this idea. Well, what if the puppets are interacting with humans? And I thought that'll work. Okay. That, that'll be interesting. So we tried it, and I think it was a very funny show, but nobody saw it. It was just buried on Fox's Thursday lineup. But anyway, it was great to see Feldman get an opportunity to write sketches. Uh-huh. Which he never really had before. He worked for Marr. Yeah. You know, and he's written a lot of other joke-oriented stuff, but he wrote the first sketch we did, which was the funniest fucking idea it was Andrew Cuomo. No, not Andrew Cuomo. Yes, Governor Cuomo. Yeah. At the height of this scandal, the sex scandal. And, but it was also the height of COVID. And, and Cuomo, it was actually, bef- it was like the sex scandal was just starting. And, oh shit, am I going to remember the sketch now? It was all about how Cuomo would give these daily updates. Remember he was like a yeah, hero. Yeah, he was for the guy. He, he was, was the, the guy. He, he was a pillar. Yeah. And then the sex scandal happened. Yeah. And then <laughs> he was Oh shit. I have to Google this. We gotta stop tape because it... Stop no, you know, it's I'll gonna... tell a Feldman joke while you look it up. Tell a Feldman joke. Feldman is a joke. Me and my wife came out of that movie Indecent Proposal. Wait. Yeah. And my wife said to me would you let another man have sex with me for a million dollars? And he goes, well, you know, I don't know if we get a million dollars, but I think we get 50 bucks, 20,000 times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. He's written amazing triumph jokes, but I'm going to find Feld is another guy that gets himself in trouble on podcasts. Oh really? Oh Yeah. Yeah, he he lets it out, and that, that, those are on my podcast. Well, that's the beauty of being somebody nobody gives a shit yeah, about. Yeah, right, right. You can't cancel. <laughs> he would it. he would laugh at that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's his secret. 
Yeah. As long as no one gives a fuck what he says, he can say anything. He has nothing to lose. Okay, so here's, I found a copy of this. This is so fucking funny. So he's like, uh, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of you think uh, the worst is behind us, but that is the most dangerous time and we must exercise caution and stay vigilant if we're ever getting back to normal. I know summer's approaching. You all want to go out, dress in light clothing, show some skin. But I cannot stress enough how that behavior will increase the number of New Yorkers who will be sexually harassed by me. <laughs> Let's look at the first slide, please. All right. As you can see, since I was first accused of inappropriate behavior back in late February, there was at first a spike in accusations. Remember how he had all those yeah, charts? Yeah, yeah, right. So he's doing it about himself. There was a spike in accusations, and I think all of us worried that there was no end in sight. Next slide. But we were lucky enough to see an inevitable decline as more women became aware of the situation and kept a safe distance from me. Next slide. And then it's like, and then it goes to like, uh, he starts saying shit like, um, <laughs> Okay, how do we flatten the curve? Number one, staying six feet away from me at all times. I know some of you are thinking you can get closer than six feet if you're standing behind me because I can't see you. Trust me, I know you're there and I'm ready to pounce. And in only a matter of seconds, a New York minute, if you will, you'll be added to this number. All because you couldn't be bothered to stand six feet away from me. <laughs> just amazing he wrote and he every word of it written that's by perfect. david written by david that's perfect yeah yeah so david um, feldman absolute yeah. treasure yeah he's the best um yeah and he moved to new york you, you live in the new york now i live in new jersey oh, i had to move jersey? to new jersey yeah because uh um uh, my son who is autistic uh, we couldn't get him into a decent school oh. in New York. Okay. It was just like too many waiting lists and not enough schools. And he, it was a real struggle for him until he was seven. He finally got into a school that could help him significantly. Is it but a it was in New Jersey. School? No, no. He's like not nonverbal, but very limited in, okay. in, in his ability to speak. And he, he needed a lot of, needed a lot of attention. And, um, and so we finally got into this school and moved to uh, moved to Bergen County, and um, I've lived there since. Have you, you grew up in New York? I grew up in Manhattan. Yeah. Where? On West 89th Street. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah. My yeah. wife grew up on West 78th. Is she Jewish? She is of the Jewish. Of course. How persuasion? could you not be? Yeah. I love no. love the Jews. Had to marry one. <laughs> Jewish women are the best. I like them. <laughs> did you marry a Jew? I did marry yeah, a Jew. I yeah. Did. There's something about them that's like they can they can put up with the little shit. They don't like my <laughs> wife doesn't sweat me about little shit. Right. And then she right. picks the stuff that she digs on and then I go, "Okay, I can go with that." You know? <laughs> my wife like doesn't sweat the little shit, but sometimes so much little shit adds up that <laughs> she finally has to say something. Yeah. You got to poke check once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just check. Yeah. And um, like, it's another thing is so funny because of the autism connection is like, sometimes she thinks 
that my behavior that like I have like shadow syndromes as they say like that symptoms that is uh like that there's maybe like you're a little bit on the spectrum I think and I understand it and I'm like I'm pretty sure I'm just an asshole (laughs) pretty sure I'm (laughs) self-centered right now and that I'm I have no problems processing I have problems thinking about something other than what I care about yeah right (laughs) but you know by all means I can't but that's ADHD (laughs) and that's a thing that a lot of writers have because we can hyper focus if you give us a script oh yeah we can fucking dive into it and not notice anything going on around us it's absolutely true and I can go long periods without wanting to write and then I'll lock in on something and I'll write like when I'm writing a screenplay yeah you know I'll write like like that whole segment where the in this movie where uh, Jason Alexander is singing a song and then we cut away to another room and he's having a conversation with this girl. Yeah. 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 And then that song, Jason Alexander song where he's bragging about his family turns into this other song where Leo is kind of mocking his family, her family. And I like, I just locked in on a plane on an airplane flight from Los Angeles to New York and just wrote the whole thing. The song, the scene. Wow. Yeah, I just it, it just happens that way sometimes where I can I, I'm just like flailing and, you know, doing nothing and then I just decide and then it either hits or it doesn't. I'm not one of those writers who's like like Apatow is like every morning, every morning mm, I right. get up and I'm gonna put something down on paper and it doesn't matter what it is. Like yeah. I like no. No. I can't do that. Yeah. I have to be inspired. Well, I'm it's incapable. Hard to exp- it's I'm hard incapable. to explain to your wife when you're hanging around in your underwear, watching a cartoon or whatever that like <laughs> this is process. Kind of process. It kind of is. I know. Yeah. I know. You can. You can. It's like, it's like being able to write off business expenses. Right. It's the same thing. Right, it's right. no, no. This is yeah. all leading, <laughs> to, all leading something. to something. Yeah. It's a screenplay. It's right. it may not be for another few years. <laughs> may not get sold. Right. But. It's all feeding the beast. Trust me. Well, that's why this this office, as small as it is, like yeah. this was my place to get out of the house and just fucking. I used to have a nice big screen TV. And oh, nice mini fridge and my coffee maker, and that's yeah. all I needed. Yeah, and I could waste half the day. Right, and then finally guilt myself into going. All right, fucking do it now. <laughs> but I can't do that in my house. I don't know what I'm gonna do. This is my last day in this office. I, I know. Have to, I have to start working out of like my house. I do that. I work out of my house. You do. My wife understands like that. I just need space. And uh, like I work in my son, Daniel's bedroom. Uh-huh. I just, I like work on a bed. Yeah. With, really? With, yeah, I do. I'm just like. No shit. Yeah. A lot of times I don't even sit at a desk. Wow. Yeah. I'm just on the internet and, and just like formulating shit. And, um, you know, when it's really time to write something properly, I will remove myself from the prone position and <laughs> and be an adult but i spend lots of times just lying down and you know but i'm working in some vo- in some shape or form I'm, yeah i'm working do you miss like a constant writer's room did you like that i i don't miss having to leave my house like yeah. i have twin boys that are just my whole life i just mm-hmm. love them so much and i love that i don't have to that when they come home, I'm home. A lot yeah. of times I'm stuck doing something. I had to work on an L.A. schedule with this movie because they had the production team 
in LA. So I would like get my kids up at seven with my wife and then I'd have to wait till noon to work and end the day at eight, which sucked. But you know, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I was working during the pandemic. It was a miracle that I had this animation job. It was like the one thing that you could actually do, you know? So it was not a place where I could complain about it, but, but yeah, I, uh, I really, uh, and the movie is a lot about like, I'm not slumming writing kids movies. I'm writing about my life. You know, I, it, it is a little weird to go from triumph humping a live animal to, it was not what I expected because I go yeah. into movies. I don't want to know anything about a movie before yeah, I sit down yeah, and watch it. I yeah. fucking hate trailers. I get to the movies 20 minutes yeah, late. Good. I won't listen to anybody. I just, so I went into this knowing it was called Leo. <laughs> that was it. That's amazing. And, and I and ten minutes in, I'm like, "When's the South Park shit gonna start happening? You know, when's the Big Mouth stuff gonna start happening?" Nope. And it just was. Uh, but it, it it was. It's just really fucking. It's really great, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, yeah. T- yeah, I enjoy the challenge of. I mean, I've overdosed on the South Park Big Big Mouth kind of comedy. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, just in the '90s and and beyond, I've done so much inappropriate shit i did an entire comedy album with triumph with songs like cats or cunts and yeah you know i mean so at a certain point i was like i was almost like i want a different challenge i want to work within parameters yeah so i was kind of interested in and in, in doing long form so between that and then having kids you know it's just that's become my life and i don't think of it as slumming i'm it's like kind of what i'm interested in and there's a lot from in this movie that's just my life like characters and like different kind of entitled parents right and you know like i said my two kids are playing kids that are a little bit reflections of themselves in Mm -hmm. some way and and some of the other kids are based on friends of theirs and right you know and i i just so i don't really feel like uh i'm making any kind of compromise it's just something that i was invested in and interested in yeah and i tried to make it as funny as possible and adam you know i wrote the first draft of this and the basic storyline but then adam came in and just you know he's always doing like five other things Mm -hmm. but every time he jumped in he just made it funnier and funnier oh that's amazing yeah 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 and he would find places he's like this could be fun that's that's my biggest weakness i think as a writer is rewriting uh-huh. Like I'll write my draft and like this is fucking great. I yeah. don't have to. I love this. What are we changing it? Uh-huh. But Adam would wear me down, or he would just top it and like, oh yeah, no. And I just, I think one of the reasons the movie is is really good is also because it took three years to like it. You know, a lot of our movies we just kind of knock out and shoot. Right. And this one we couldn't do that because animation takes so long. But we kept coming back to scenes like, Oh wait, we could do this in this scene. We could add this. We could add this. Yeah. You know? And that's why I think it's kind of like a lot of people have told me how funny it is. And that's, I'm very proud of that also because I love these Pixar movies, but you sit in the theater, uh, and the kids aren't really laughing all that much, Mm -hmm. you know? And they're still my favorite movies, movie like up or Coco. Love Coco. Coco's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like a nonstop laugh fest. No. And that's okay. Yeah. That's the type of movie that is. But Adam and I are comedians and 
we're excited to make kids laugh. Yeah. You know, so Hotel Transylvania, it's not considered a classic movie or anything, but we were very, very gratified. We would go to theaters and we'd hear the sound of children laughing mm -hmm. all the way through. Yeah. And that's just a great feeling. Like, you know. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, your kids can see before they're 21 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a bad father. Yeah. I, I let my kids see South Park. Oh, at do. age at 12. Oh, okay. I was like, I'm going to yeah. let it find They wanted to see it for so long. Yeah, you can't yeah, stop yeah. them. You can't yeah. stop But it opened up the floodgates. All right, so I don't want to keep you. I, I value your time. I'm so appreciative of you coming on the show. Oh, please. Uh, I'm, tell, I'm thrilled to be here. Tell honestly. your friends. Get on Netflix. Um, yeah. Leo is now, it came out as the number one film on Netflix. Number one. Which is pretty sweet. Mm. Although this week you are <laughs> losing out to a game show about Squid, squid games. games. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, how's Squid Game? I mean, that's yeah. like, how can you not, how can you not lose to Squid Game? The second I saw the first episode of that show, I said, they're going to make a real game show about Oh, that. really? Oh, yeah. I knew it instantly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet, but but I'm I'm interested. Now we'll make a real life uh, Leo game show. Right. Maybe, maybe that'll do the trick. So All thank right. you. Uh, can I just plug? Uh, I don't know. When, when is this coming out? Uh, tomorrow. Oh, Night of Too Many Stars. If you're in the New York area is December 11th. We've got John Stewart, Colbert, uh, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler. Uh, Rachel Bloom, uh, Amy Schumer. It's going to be amazing. Sounds like you need a headliner, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Triumph, the insult comic dog. Oh, there you no, go. he's not. I'm not. All right. I'm not. What, where is the venue? It is at the Beacon Theater, December 11th. Uh -huh. if, you, if you're interested, there are tickets available and also very expensive packages where you get privileges and help autism. Nice. So, so do that and check out David Feldman's podcast while we're talking about him. <laughs> right. Yeah. What's it called? I think the David Feldman David show. David Feldman show. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank All right, you. Bud.